Welcome to the Collective Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, please visit thecollectivechurch.ca.ca. asked me to speak on revival and as long as I can remember people have been praying for revival they've been holding revival meetings when when I was a child my life was full of these revivalists there were people in our home all the time who were missionaries they stayed over they were guests they passed in and out we had a very well, she became quite famous. Mary Morrison, who was part of the Hebrides revival, she was there. She had this beautiful, impressive voice, strong woman, strong character, married a, a person my mother introduced to her, definitely led by the Holy Spirit, encouraged him to propose to her. They got married, went to Edinburgh, and became very well-known revivalists who've written books on the topic. And there were other people who have really made an impact on my life. I'm so privileged to have experienced that in the context of our home. And when I was little, and I have to say this because my daughter told you last week that she wanted to be in the South Africa, I have to tell you that when I was little, I wanted to be a circus performer sometimes, mainly I wanted to be a ballerina, and then also very top of the list was being a revivalist. There was something um, called the Africa Evangelistic Band, prominent in my home. My aunt was part of it. My uncle, Mary Morrison, was part of it. And they used to have a uniform. They used to have little hats and outfits. And I used to pop on this little hat bonnet thing and stand there as a little five-year-old and preach away. Um, and I remember one of my texts was, trust and don't rust. It was, <laughs> yes, I was going for this in my life. And and so in a very childish kind of a way, the seeds of passion for the gospel of Jesus and revival were sown in my heart and continued through the ups and downs of the years to be maybe sometimes a dormant seed, but a seed that was there. And more recently, when we went to Germany together, we carried in our heart a real passion for this. God told us to go and to show the people the heart of and the love of Father God, and to open the doors for the Holy Spirit. That was our, kind of our job description in terms of what God told us to do. And we carried this passion to see revival come. As we wrote it on our website at the time, and it's still actually on the website of the church there in Munich, we were passionate to see the kingdom of God come to earth and God's people live in sustained revival from generation to generation. I believe with all my heart that God created us for revival. He created us to live in this heaven which Jesus brings into our lives when we are united with him, when we are in relationship with him, and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside us. He brings Eden, he brings heaven, he brings revival into our lives, and we went to live in it, not only as individuals, but as a community. So I perhaps thought we could start by looking at some of the definitions of revival that people have given, those who have experienced it and been part of it. The first one is perhaps a more personal one, and it's, it's where we all start. I think Kirsty spoke very beautifully about Jesus making his home in us last time, and us making our home in him. And this person, somebody all, has described it as times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And isn't that what we experienced just now? This just, Jesus, we see you, the king in your beauty, you're refreshing us. We 
we see you just taking us deeper into the water with you and just leading us into that deep, deep, beautiful space of refreshing and life in you, this personal revival, that just this well that starts to open up in our hearts as, as the Holy Spirit just starts to pour his power and his glory and his life and his love in, into, into us as individuals. Then another quote by Richard Owen Roberts, an extraordinary movement of the Holy Spirit producing extraordinary results. Nothing ordinary about the Holy Spirit. He's the most exciting person you can ever meet or know and have a friendship with in your life. Um, another one, I love this one. Duncan Campbell, who was part of this Hebrides revival I spoke about. A community saturated with God. How do you like that one? A community saturated with God. And it's just as I was reading this weekend, a verse that just started to really come alive for me was this, this whole concept in Ephesians 2, where um, the house of God is described, that together we make up a temple inhabited by the Holy Spirit, a, a house whose foundations are, of course, the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, but this house inhabited by the Spirit, and it's just this glory of the house that we are together. Yes, our individual wells, if they're not open, it's not going to work, but together, when we're flowing, not just as individual wells, but as this river of God pouring out his life, it's the whole community that becomes saturated with God. Bill Johnson, um, and I like, I, I like what he says so much, I just love the revival culture that Bethel has embraced, and they've touched so many people, millions of, of people across the globe. He says, we're alive for one reason, the outpouring of the Spirit of God on everything he's given our hands to touch. Family, city, nations, the, all the nations of the world, our own nation first, and then all the nations of the world, everything our hands touch, everything we're involved in, every sphere that we have influence in, it's for the outpouring of the Spirit through us. Um, and I love that because... Um, Duncan Campbell also said, a true revival is more than God just affecting the church. A true revival is not just about churchgoers. It's about the whole community, um, the surrounding community being touched in a way that is actually visible. Because in the Hebrides, like crime just about stopped completely, um, workplaces were changed, families were completely transformed. It wasn't just about the people in the church, it was about the whole community. And I love that big picture because it's got to spread. It's got to spread. It starts in us. Um, and I think we could feel it today. I just feel like God is already doing it in us. I feel like he's cracking something open today. The Holy Spirit is just cracking something open. And he's already started it. And I'm not just Jesus. Jesus, your words are almost superfluous because I know you're doing it already. Um, so it's really wonderful. In Leviticus chapter 6, verse 13, it says, the fire on the altar will be kept burning. And I want to say it's so clear as you look back over the revivals of the past. Revival isn't something that is like away from earth and then one day it sort of falls like, you know, something from outer space falls on the planet and then there's a fire and then it's gone again. Revival never stops. The fire of the re of revival never goes out. But it's just that 
it burns, it seems to burn like flame in different places at different times. Um, and I think that the only people who can put out the fire of revival, the only ones who can do that, are we ourselves when we quench the Spirit of God. I don't believe it's ever meant to be a sporadic thing that just breaks out and then disappears here and comes up there and then the sparks fly and then there are flames of revival on this side of the globe and then it stops there. I believe it's meant to be continuous from generation to generation, as we've said. But we, unfortunately, we are the ones who can quench the Spirit. And the, the Word warns us against doing that. It says, don't quench the Spirit of God. But as we look back over history, it's like this fire burns bright and the flames are high and everyone sees it and it changes the community and the city and, and the nation. And then sparks fly in different directions. People travel who've been there and take it to different countries, different places, and it begins in other places around the world. Um, and sometimes there's seeds that seem to lie dormant. And for years they lie dormant and then they burst into flame like they did in China with the revival there at a later time. But revival always brings the heart of God for his people, new life, transformation, renewal, growth. During revivals, it's not only the personal growth in the believer's life, new spiritual growth, refreshing, it's like hundreds and thousands of people are just saved. And they come to Jesus, they experience the, this revelation of the incredible love and grace of the gospel. They're just drawn, they're like begging, please show me how I can just get rid of all this weight of the stuff and the sin in my life. I want to, I want to know, I want to know this, this Jesus. I, I, what is this? I want it. Hundreds and thousands are saved and brought into the kingdom. Christians become passionate about Jesus. Um, heaven invades earth. Who's thirsty for revival? Who's hungry? Who is hungry for revival? Who is thirsty? Okay, okay, I'm not alone. So many revivals are happening at the moment. It's not like the aunt revivals. I believe that revival is happening here too. I really do. I sense it. I feel it's like when you smell the rain, you know, and it's just so good. You, I smell the rain on the earth. It's like you can smell it. And you know it's happening, but there's more. There's more. There's more. And, and, and we desire that. And historically, as we look back, we see that actually almost every denomination or significant movement that we can think of was birthed in revival. But then, we know human beings very well, don't we? And their desire to control and manipulate very often came in and turned it basically into a religious practice. Okay, let's stop this now. Let's just get this all under control. Let's organize this. And so those of us who have a desire and a burning passion for revival, really, I believe we need to take a stand against religion. Dead religion. We have to be boldly, boldly turn our backs on that because it's the act, actual opposite of what revival is. And we have to open ourselves unreservedly to the moves and the ways of the Spirit. And our first reaction is, of course, obviously, obviously. And then you think, um, well, actually, I do have my comfort zones and I do have my sort of 
lines in the sand, what I think is okay and what maybe I don't. And you realize that we all, all of us, even those of us who desire it so passionately, need to open ourselves to say, God, we are willing to see new ways in which your spirit moves. There's a way in which all revivals are the same in that they all display the heart of God for his people, new life, growth, fruitfulness, heaven come to earth, miracles, signs, wonders, always. But there are always unique things about revival as well. And I just want to encourage us today to say, let's be open. Let's prepare our hearts for God to show us a completely new way of what he's going to do in our, in our place, in our hearts, in our community, in our city, in our nation. We can have blindness. We can have blind spots. We can have dull hearts. We need a soft heart that is completely sensitive and open to the Holy Spirit to be able to see and recognize what God is doing right now in our lives and what he's going to do. It's an amazing thing, which we all know, but let's just remember it again. Before the Messiah was born, the religious leaders of the time prayed and taught about his coming. But when Jesus came, many of them did not recognize him. Simeon and Anna, if you read that portion, it says, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit was on Simeon. They were in the Spirit. And because they were in the Spirit and the Holy Spirit was filling them, they recognized Jesus. But so many of the religious leaders, I mean, most of them did not recognize him. Many people, history tells us, who have prayed for a visitation of God have missed it when it came. And we can become dull of heart, which means that our hearts are not soft. They're not open to see and to recognize the eyes of our hearts need to be open. The ears of our hearts need to be open mm -hmm. to pick up what the Spirit is doing. We so need the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit, but we need more. We need more. We need to be hungry for more. And we need to keep our hearts soft. Um, when the Spirit comes together with the Word, and it's that two-edged sword that can penetrate our hearts and open the eyes of our hearts, in the ears of our hearts, to see and hear what the Spirit is doing, we can recognize. And I, I actually believe it's an important thing that we recognize what God is doing right now. Because so often we're like, God, your life is, you know, it's okay. And even Sunday it was cool, but actually we're living for that one day when this big revival comes. But I believe with all my heart that if we can't see what God is doing, how he's healing, how he's transforming, how he's blessing, how he's leading right now and say, Jesus, I'm so thankful for what you did today, that our hearts are not prepared. We're not sensitive. We're not seeing what the Spirit is doing right now. How will we be able to see what the Spirit does in the next step and the next and the next and the next? So I just want to say, let's just encourage that thankful spirit in our, in our hearts and souls to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I see, I see, I taste, I sense, I smell what you are doing and what you have done even in the previous weeks. What you have done, I sense it and I thank you. Thank you, Jesus. More please, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. More please, Jesus. I just want to encourage you. Passion and hunger for God 
keeps our hearts soft and our spiritual eyes and senses open to the ways he wants to move. Often, historically, again, it's those who just experienced a move of God and sort of got it all under control and built a monument to it who reject the next move, right? We know this. And Lord God, we never want to, we never, never want to do that. We all have stories of what God has done in our lives. And as I said, I think we all have comfort zones. We all have lines in the sand, ways we have seen before or experienced before or even just what we believe is okay. And I think I really sense the Spirit wants to say, I want to shift those lines. I want to break those boxes. I want to change. I want to impact your thoughts and your hearts. And I want to show you new things. I'm doing a new thing. It's going to look a little bit different. So I want to encourage you to open your heart to that today. He's birthing new things in all of us. He wants to move in a new way. He's calling us to new passion, new love for him, a completely new love level of love for him, I think, and for each other. And I want to encourage us also to have the excitement and the expectation of kids, of children. Become those children that Jesus said, you need to be a child to be able to receive the kingdom. And if you want his kingdom and heaven to invade, that's revival. Have the heart of a child. Have that attitude of a child. What's next, Daddy? Come on, if I can jump in my 60s, you can jump probably 10 times higher. Don't hold back. Be a child. Receive what God has got for you right now and what's coming around the corner. Revival is full of the glory of God and the manifestation of his power. It's an awesome thing. It can also be sometimes a scary thing. People are sometimes afraid of it. But remember, God is always God. And he always has the heart of a father in every single thing he does. So if you know your father is good and you trust him, it's not, he's, not, he's not a scary person. Whatever he's doing, at whatever stage, he's got good intentions and he's good. It's okay. It's all okay. I'm sure you, you've held a child or seen somebody hold a child and say, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And it's like, I believe through whatever God does, he's always there to say, it's okay, I know, I know, I know what I'm doing. Trust me, trust me all the way. Revival brings new manifestations of their glory and power. People are saved, healed, delivered, set free. Their miracles, their signs, their wonders, and then these supernatural happenings. Who's heard of the Quakers? Okay. So back in the day, in the mid-1700s, the people in the Quaker movement were called Quakers because they quaked. They shook and they quaked, and they, if you read the Google thing, they trembled in the ways of the Lord. So when the Holy Spirit fell on them, they were quaking all over the place. And the Quakers were actually, I found it interesting to read, they were persecuted because they believed that the presence of God can exist in each person. Don't you love that? They believed that the presence of God can exist in each person, and they were persecuted for that. 
How awesome is that? Now, these people who quaked and shook and were movers and shakers in the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit fell on them, they also were movers and shakers in the society. So you might remember that the Quakers were actually people who really made a mark on their society. They impacted their society because in the Industrial Revolution, they were entrepreneurs um, and really you know, made a name for themselves as that. They also joined the movement um, that worked for the abolition of slavery, movements that worked for equality, um, equal rights uh, for women. So it wasn't just a let's all get into a holy huddle, you know, and shake under the power and then, no, it spread to the community. It changed the face of their society. And I think that's so exciting and so, it's such a beautiful thing to think back on because God wants to do that with us too in new ways. <coughs> The Methodists today in their services are generally very different from the early meeting that, meetings that the Methodists have. Um, yeah, it's different now, generally. But those early meetings and moves of the Holy Spirit were amazing. The early revival meetings of John and Charles Wesley were full of stamping and shouting and singing and people weeping sometimes, and people falling to the floor, and ecstatic trances, and healings, and miracles. There were thousands of people. They couldn't fit into the churches. They had to go into the fields and the streets. People fell under the power of God. How they projected their voices with these thousands of people. It must have been a miracle in itself. But thousands and thousands of people. The Holy Spirit moved on huge crowds as they preached. Droves were saved. It's described like that. Um, at one stage, they got nervous about all these strange manifestations, and they wanted to put a lid on it. And then Whitfield, Charles and John Wesley got together, and they said, no, have you noticed that as soon as we want to put a lid on the way the Holy Spirit moves, not so many people are saved, not so many are healed. God doesn't work so powerfully. We can't tell the Holy Spirit what to do and how to do it and they're released, and they let the Holy Spirit move as he wanted to move. And that, those great awakenings changed society in England. I, I believe it, it had a huge, huge impact on thousands and thousands of people. God powerfully used the gifts of these evangelists, but ultimately, it was the presence of the Holy Spirit that brought revival beyond the skills or ministry gifts that they had. He uses us, he partners with us, but it's way more than just our giftings. Um, just to make it a little bit more current, it's so wonderful to partner with God when he's gone ahead and basically done everything. Um, we had an SSM, Supernatural School of Ministry, at our Munich church, and the Holy Spirit was obviously really moving powerfully, and people were in the drunken glory. And a man just came in off the street to see what was happening, and he walked into the meeting, and he got completely completely drunk in the Holy Spirit. He was falling about the place, a non-believer. And at some stage, she said to someone, what is this? Why am I like this? What's going on? And they were able to say, you know what? This is Jesus, and this is what the gospel is, and this is what he wants to do. He wants to save you. He wants to set you free. He wants to bring joy into your life, and so on and so on. Just describing and explaining this beautiful gospel, they drove him home, and he was saved. So nobody had to try and convince him. Nobody had to um, argue with him. He was just, what is this? I want it. And God, God brought that salvation. And I'm just thankful for 
Every time God moves in that spectacular way, every time he makes cancerous tumors disappear, every time he, we had a doctor healed because somebody's bones were supernaturally set in place, broken his bones, they'd taken x-rays, they were supernaturally set in place, and he went back to the doctor, and the doctor's like, I don't believe this, what is this? And just like when Jesus healed to demonstrate what the kingdom of God was um, and what the glorious gospel was all about, in the same way, when he does that, we're just so, so grateful. I thank God for every beautiful demonstration of his power and glory and manifestation of his presence. And what is so beautiful is that we can be satisfied and so happy with what we've tasted. But that tasting just wants us want more and more and more. And in the natural, when people just start to eat too much, you've got to say, hey, you have to stop. But in the spiritual, you can be hungry and have eaten well and be satisfied, and yet you can go on and on and on eating and drinking, and it's all good because God's got a feast that we can feast on, and he wants us to want more and more and more of what we've tasted. A while ago, I had a dream in which God said, it's a time of healing the hurts and tears and going back to the Welsh wells of revival. Okay, he's going to heal the hurts and tears and go back to the Welsh wells of revival. And I want to explore this more. I want to dig into this more. I want to wait on God. I want to read more about this. But from what I've already dug into and explored a little bit and, and discovered, I'd like to read you the following. It's about the Welsh revival of 1904-1905. It resulted in a very short time, I think a few years, of over 150,000 people being converted and brought to Christ and added to the churches in Wales. Lives were transformed. Lifestyles were changed. Homes and families were healed. Churches were packed and on fire with fervor and zeal. All this happened when people began to experience the reality of God's divine power. And teams of young people, such as the one led by the noted revivalist Evan Roberts um, and his revival party, traveled the country revolutionizing the churches. Just after 11 o'clock one Wednesday evening, a solar voice rang out with the beautiful Welsh hymn, Here is Love vast as the ocean. And this, to me, I'm going to just read you some words. This is what people were experiencing, an absolute revelation of the love of God poured out through the blood of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. And when they were drawn, when they saw the Savior in all his love, and grace, and they realized what the gospel really was, and what the Spirit was making tangible to them, they just wanted him. They just came to him. And this is how it goes. Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood, when the Prince of Peace, my ransom, shed for me his precious blood. Whose love will not remember? Who can cease to sing his praise? He shall never be forgotten through heaven's everlasting days. On the Mount of Crucifixion, fountains opened deep and wide. 
Through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed that vast and gracious tide. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above. Heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. Whole communities changed as men and women found themselves drawn into a powerful experience of God and sparks from their awakening were soon to ignite fires in more than a dozen other countries. And that hymn that was sung over and over again through that revival became known as the love song of the revival. Beautiful, beautiful experience of God's love. One that's very famous, and I'm sure everyone here knows quite a bit about, is the Azusa Street Revival, where the fire of God's Spirit became visible. You know, we were talking just now about that edifice that we all are together, that building of God inhabited by His Spirit. Well, I just found it interesting that at Pentecost, the fire came onto the individual heads of the disciples, but here, it came on a whole house of this community of believers worshipping God together. It was like the fire came on the roof of the house and the fire brigade was called. I mean, it was a fire on the roof of the house. So the fire brigade shot over to put out this fire. Couldn't put it out because it wasn't a natural fire. It was a supernatural fire. And they found the people worshipping inside. But a house of believers, not, not the building, that was just the physical representation of it and manifestation. But it was these people just worshipping God reveling, soaking, basking in his power and his glory. There are always unique elements. One, one unique element of this revival at Azusa Street is that the man who led the church was William Seymour. He was an African-American and he was blind in one eye. And he spent most of the time during the services on the floor with his head on, the knee, on his knees on the floor with his head hidden in the boxes. Now, one thing's for sure that the Holy Spirit was definitely leading those meetings. But most of the time through that revolution, he, uh, revolution, that revival, he kept his head hidden in the boxes. They were speaking in tongues, singing, shouting. People came in. They fell under God's miraculous power, healings. And there was an amazing diversity among the people, which, again, it's just a point I felt to, to bring out today, that often... During the revivals, you'd see that the people that were gathered there, it was very, very diverse. There were people from every grouping, whites, blacks, Asians, rich, poor, immigrants, educated, uneducated. Every type was brought together and this incredible diversity of people and yet a unity of heart, such a unity of heart such a love and unity holding them together in the spirit. That revival in Azusa Street was described like this. God is melting all races and nations together, the article said, and they are filled with the power and glory of God. The sons of God may manifest to the world so that a journalist writes this article in the newspaper. Isn't that beautiful? Missionaries sent to over 50 countries came from the Zusa Street Revival. Apparently, millions of people's lives were affected as a result of this revival because it spread into many charismatic moves, excuse me, charismatic moves, Pentecostal moves, over the next 100 years. We love the same, the same, the same, but I, I just believe God is 
encouraging us to embrace diversity, to see the beauty and to love the people that look different, speak different, sound different, uh, are different in every kind of way from what we are. Um, he's putting us together to be just a diverse people who are united not by natural things, but by the love of God, hearts knit together. Unity and diversity. And I'm, get, I'm ending today with the example that comes from Germany because it's kind of a personal thing. For us, we visited this little village where this incredible revival happened. And it's a beautiful picture of what God wants to do, how he wants to bring unity and this deep, deep revelation and outpouring of love. A key aspect, I believe, for revival. And I think it's something God wants to do tonight as well. But let me tell you the story first. It's about the revival in Herrenhut. Has anyone heard of Herrenhut in Germany and the revival? Anyone? Anyone? Oh, I see that hand. <laughs> I see those hands. Um, it all started in East Germany in an art museum. Don't you love that? See, God just does surprise things, surprising things. Somebody called Count Zinzendorf. He was part of the nobility. Um, he went to an art museum. And when he was visiting the art museum, he stood in front of a painting through which God just started to speak to him in an amazing, quite a miraculous way. And he had an encounter with God in this art museum. And God just overwhelmed him with an incredible sense of the love and grace of God and just put a calling on his life. And God gave him a vision. A vision was birthed in him for a community, to have a community of people, community of people who loved God and also people being drawn to Jesus. So that was the vision, the community and the people being drawn to Jesus as well. So in, he, he responded. He, in obedience, he responded to this, um, what had been birthed in his heart with this God encounter, and he took his inheritance, and with his inheritance, he bought an estate, bought a piece of land, which became known as Herrenhut in Saxony. And eventually, the people who came to live on that land were Moravians. The Moravians who'd been living in Bohemia were being persecuted for their faith, and they were now refugees, and he agreed to give these people, this group of people, asylum on his land. And so these refugees came over from Bohemia um, to Herrenhut, this little village in Saxony, east of Germany, and they were, as I say, given asylum, they settled there. And those of us who are well acquainted with human beings can imagine, you have a group of like 300 people together, very soon, all kinds of offenses started to creep in. People started to have different opinions, different doctrines, different ideas. Um, they were believers, the Moravians were believers, but there was all this conflict, criticism, accusation, offenses, schisms, divisions, tensions, you name it. It just started to split the community in all kinds of insidious ways. But God had a plan for that community. Zinzendorf had a vision. And the Holy Spirit began to work in that community. Zinzendorf took it very seriously. He used to ride around to each household 
and give them, encourage them, pray with them, give them verses, try to build them up. Um, prayer went up to heal this community, to bring them together, to change the situation, to bring unity. In fact, Zinzendorf was so convinced that the Holy Spirit wanted him to do this. So in May 1927, he called a meeting and he spoke. He addressed the community and he spoke for three hours on the blessing of Christian unity. Just really wanting people to come together, to put all those things aside. Um, despite differences, to say we have one heart, we're redeemed children of God, let us love and let us come into unity. It doesn't matter if we have different ideas or opinions. Let's forgive offenses and let's walk in unity. A month after that was May, June, July, August, three months later, Zinzendorf and 14 others actually prayed through the whole night. There was tremendous prayer going up. People began to be convicted by the Holy Spirit. Um, in that same month of August, they were invited by a, neighboring, a pastor in a neighboring village to come and have a reconciliation communion service. And so the community was accustomed to walking. And on the way to this communion service where there was supposed to be reconciliation, on the road there were the two parties, <laughs> the two divisions, so to speak, walking one lot on this side of the road, one lot on that side of the road, still, still. But the power of the Spirit fell on them to such an extent, they were so, their hearts were so moved, they began to weep and they would cross over to the other, to someone on the other side and say, I can't, forgive me, forgive me, please, please. And the other one would say, no, no, forgive me. And they'd start to cross this, this great big, space between the groups. They started to move over. There was weeping. There was asking for forgiveness, making right on the road before they even got to the communion service. And when they got there, that was 13th of August, 1727, the service began, but partway through the, spirit, through the service, the spirit just fell on that entire community. Nobody knows exactly what happened, but there were miracles, there were healings, there were manifestations. It just broke open signs and wonders, and that community was changed. They were never the same again. Within two weeks of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they had committed to 24-7 prayer. There were first of all just 20, and then more and more and more of the 300 until everybody was part of it. Um, they divided the clock into watches, and they took turns praying. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And this prayer meeting went on for a hundred years. A hundred, yes, a hundred years. It was not broken for a hundred years. So powerful. The power of prayer gives me absolute goosebumps and it needs a whole thing to, its, to itself. But prayer was always obviously a, a an essential part of every revival. The glory of God rested on that community and impacted the entire world. Um, there was a tremendous passion for prayer, a tremendous passion for the word of God. People could never get enough of it because the spirit was on it all the time. The spirit of God began to send them out as missionaries to Australia, North and South America, Africa, um, all over the world. In fact, the first mission station in South Africa 
was from that group of people in Herrenhut. At Gnadendal in South Africa was the first mission station sent out. One of, one of those guys um, from that place in Herrenhut, Gnadendal in the Cape. Um, amazing. It has been said by one of the historians, this is what a historian said, this small church in Herrenhut in 20 years called into being more missions than the whole evangelical church has done in two centuries. Powerful. It didn't matter that there were, what's 300 people? It wasn't a huge church. They impacted the world more than all the others put together. Amazing, just incredible. And an interesting point is that as one of them was going out, or no, I think there was a group of them going out on a ship to one of these countries, they met John Wesley. John Wesley was on the ship and was so impacted by these people that he visited Heronhut and from there, from the fire of revival that was happening there, he took with him that flame, that passion, that revival fire back to England and the great awakenings were a result. Powerful, powerful, powerful. People who didn't even talk to each other. The spirit of God falling on them. Forgiveness, love, released incredible but there's more to it because in the 1900s early 1900s where when azusa street was happening in germany the pastors got together now germany had this incredible revival history but in early 1900s they got together and the pastors of the evangelical churches decided no we don't want any of the stuff that is happening at azusa street all around the world with this holy spirit movement we don't want it so in true style they actually drew up a form. They all signed it to say we do not want any of these moves of the Holy Spirit in Germany. And I think history speaks for itself because we know what happened in the 1900s. The First World War, the horrific happenings in the Second World War. And by like the early 200s, the new millennium, the new millennium, they gathered together and they repented. They came together, they tore that up, they repented before God and they said, we welcome you, Holy Spirit. We welcome you back to this nation. Come back to this nation. We need you, we need you, we're desperate for you. We want you to come back. And what's happened in Germany since then is phenomenal. Just one thing we'll mention is that it was like just seeing part of our dream fulfilled, going to Nuremberg and having, it was called Awakening Europe, 25,000 people right next to the stadium where Hitler gathered his troops, worshipping God, crying out to God, the Holy Spirit coming powerfully. There were people from the Jesus culture was there, Todd White was there, pastors throughout Germany that had prayed for decades, said we are seeing our dreams fulfilled, our prayers are answered. There's 25,000 people hit the city. Um, healings on the streets. It was hard to find a place if you go into a shop or a restaurant and people say, oh, can we pray for you? They're like, no, they've already prayed for us. They've all been here. They've prayed. A city impacted. It was like what is happening there is, is absolutely amazing. And I just, I want to end with that tonight because I believe what God, I just sense that what God wants to do here tonight um, is to work deeply in us a healing of any kind of hurts and offenses that we might have in our hearts. I believe he wants to heal that and I believe he wants forgiveness to flow freely. We're going to end with communion and 
I just believe that during that time, God wants to give us an incredible sense of freedom as we just open our hearts to forgive whatever there is in your life that is in any way holding you back. If there's any hindrance, if there's any hint of, oh, that, that sore, that hurt, that, that really, I can't, I can't let go of that, I can't forgive that. Let go of it tonight. I believe God wants to do that, like he did in Heronhood. I believe he wants to do that. And I believe he wants to give us a new revelation of his love so that our lives just become, we become laid down lovers. We become those who walk in such a deep, passionate love relationship with Jesus that it's just things are transformed and changed and that we walk in a deep love with each other. Um, a unity that goes way beyond, I think like you think, I have interests like you have, a unity that is heart-to-heart love for each other because we're brothers and sisters, we're children of God, and he has transformed and is transforming our lives. So just going to open this time for the Holy Spirit to minister. Um, And I wanted to share that story last because I believe that something of that is what God wants to do here tonight. Just an incredible, deep, deep revelation of his love and grace, just at a new level in our lives. Um, And there's a little testimony that I felt to share, making ourselves vulnerable. Thank you for that wonderful word that you brought us, that testimony. It's just something that happened in my life. Um, I just had a physical sickness, actually. It was just like a chronic sickness I couldn't get rid of. I was always on antibiotics. And then somebody who had prayed for me said to me, "Um, do you have any grudge in your life? Is there any, like, offense? Is there any unforgiveness? I said, not at all. Nothing. Any hurt? And then the Holy Spirit said, yes, yes. I was like, except about my dad. My father died before I was born. Then I had a stepfather for eight years. And he was wonderful. And he died. I was like, so hurt. So sore about that. And it was like God said to me, I'm going to heal you, but you've also got to forgive me. And I was like, oh, it's like blasphemy. Could I have not forgiven God? I mean, forgive. You need to forgive God. You need to let him heal that hurt. <clears throat> Open the heart, God. Within a day or two, I was better. My, my heart was healed. Forgiveness came, brought incredible release, and the doctor said, when I went to the doctor, he said, this is miraculous. You're fine, you're better. It was the most wonderful thing that could ever happen to me. Let the Holy Spirit reveal, maybe there's nothing you even know, but there's something there that he knows, and he just wants to release you, wants to heal you. Just allow him to show you. Come on, you need to forgive God, self, somebody. You just heal that terrible hurt that you incurred. So, would you, Jesus, would you play for us while we just allow the Spirit to minister to us at this time? This is a cup of blessing, and it's just such a demonstration. Thank you for listening. 
We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit thecollectivechurch.ca today.